The sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. Ever wondered how a book gets made into a movie? Or how to master the art of cooking? Either way, we've got you covered with the Two Guys from Hollywood podcast. I'm Alan Nevins, a literary agent and talent manager. And I'm Joey Santos, a columnist and celebrity chef. On our podcast, we're going to be serving you a fresh perspective of the entertainment industry alongside our favorite celebrity guests. As we like to say, we don't dish, we serve. Listen and follow Two Guys from Hollywood on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. We'll talk at you soon. Hey everyone, it's Michelle Williams, and I love being able to share my story with you on my podcast, Checking In with Michelle Williams, where my guests and I, we get real as we share the ups and downs of our mental health journeys, and I'd love for you to join me. Hey, it's going to be your church and your turn up. So listen to Checking In with Michelle Williams every Tuesday, a part of the Black Effect on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome, everybody, to the playoff edition, the wild card round of the Sports Grid Fantasy Football Show. This is going to be the flagship show. I'm Drew Dinkmeyer in the host chair. This week, joined by Davis Maddock, the host of most of the other Sports Grid Fantasy Football podcasts, we are going to break down the main slate, which, thankfully, on DraftKings is all four games. FanDuel, help us out. Four games. Imagine. That's what we Imagine, Drew. That's what we want. We want the four game slates, uh, but we'll break down each of these games, talk about them from a DFS perspective. We're recording this on New Year's Day, so happy New Year to everyone out there listening. Um, we do not have much injury information as a result, so we will kind of run briefly through the things that we will be paying attention to during the week. For subscribers to Daily Road, our premium podcast will record on Friday, so we'll get that out Friday during the day, so you'll have plenty of time to digest that information before Saturday's games. Um, getting that all out of the way, Davis, happy New Year to you. How did you spend your New Year's Eve? Uh, I just hung out with my dogs and my girlfriend and, uh, it was, uh, it was very nice. One of the, one of the great things about like, once you get past 25, you actually, you actually feel no, like, I don't even feel bad about not going out basically. Yeah. I, uh, I'm, I'm like 20 blocks South of all the mania at times square. So, uh, there was no chance I was leaving my apartment. Uh, last night, no chance whatsoever. So uh, I'm proud. Of, I'm proud of you. Made made a nice dinner. Enjoyed. Uh, fu- finished off uh, the, the marvelous Mrs. Maisel season three show that I've been enjoying quite a bit. And uh, yeah, and had a nice nice little New Year's. So uh, all right, let's let's start off. Let's start off with just general NFL playoff DFS, Davis, because this is one of my favorite times of year. I love the playoff slates. Uh, but you were saying to me before the podcast that this particular slate doesn't seem as compelling to you, and you seem uh, you seem a little bit hesitant to go all in on the slate. Well, I I do really like it for tournaments because I think there are there's one obvious angle that is going to be so owned, like so the the New Orleans so Breeze Kamara and Michael Thomas are going mm-hmm. to be chalk beyond chalk. They, this, it's going to be like a Thanksgiving three game slate in terms of their ownerships. Like it, it would, it would not surprise me if uh, Thomas and Kamara, you know, both of them end up over like 40% owned and things. However, yeah. normally I, I do try and play cash for these slates where everyone is playing cash. Like, like Thanksgiving is generally yep. a very profitable cash game slate. Um, you know, just people are, are bad at DFS as we talk about on these podcasts a lot, but I do not particularly see an edge in this slate for cash games, and I think it's more likely than not that you are going to be flipping 4K guys versus even people who are bad. Like, it's a very real scenario to me that you could be flipping uh, Duke Johnson versus, uh, you know, in Keel Harry versus Corey Davis for, you know, for like all of the games that you're in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, that's, that's certainly the case yeah. when the higher price plays stand out so clearly. Uh, it does tend to shift a lot of the emphasis on those cheaper plays. But I thought, you know, given some of the cheaper plays that you might like, some of these, you know, receiving backs, uh, Travis Homer, Duke Johnson, uh, figured those might be guys that the uh, the casual fan might not be on and you might be you might be able to take advantage of. 
So I guess that's interesting. Maybe I am just approaching this slate and not even realizing that Travis Homer is not obvious. Like that, that maybe, maybe Travis Homer is only obvious. Um, like if you know who he is or if you like watched him play in college or whatever, maybe if you were, do you, do you think that you're asked, like, what would you project his ownership at in like the, I don't even know what's the, what's the big tournament on DraftKings this week. I don't even know what it's called. Like the, the, oh, they have a millionaire maker this week. What, yeah. what do we think? I, that's so, that's so strange that there's a, a millionaire maker. What do we, what do we think that he is going to be in the, uh, the millie maker this week? Um, so uh, there's some injury information that needs to settle out with like Miles Sanders that really does. Yeah. Boston Scott might end up being like um, just mega insane. Shock. Yeah. Which really, really does impact the slate. But I would say in general, I would think that, you know, remember these are four game slates. So any of the ownership that we're talking about compared to like a, it's going to be slate, multiplied. It's going to be multiplied. So I would say that I would be surprised um, if he was over over thirty percent. Uh, yeah, I mean that like I th- so I th- even th- if- I think he'll be in the I think he'd be in the twenties. Yeah, in the twenties, I think he maybe, is an absolute jam. Yeah, in the twenties, I think he is is just an absurdly good play. So you know that that already is making me more excited about go. the slate. Because if we go. if we look at what Lynch did, he he was not targeted in the passing game, and he was bad as a runner. Right, like he had the one touchdown run, and then everything else that he did, um, it it was all bad basically. Yeah, and we'll talk more about that game in terms of the individual matchup as well. I did want to mention, you mentioned that DraftKings has a million maker. Uh, $2.25 million prize pool. Maker. Yeah, not, not, not great per the data. Can we, can we not? Can we not? Like, uh, and I realize, I realize, those of you listening, um, I probably have some scorn and disdain for, for me venting that sentiment, <laughs> given that I've, I've won a million maker, probably of a similar size way back. Wow. When. Sick, sick brag, dude. Sick brag. But, but uh, at this point in the game, I feel like we just, we don't need these. We don't need these. Like we don't, we don't, we, we're, it's not, I mean, who's, it's not, a, who's asking for this? Who's asking not, like that? That's my question. Is who, yeah. That's the thing is like the million maker exists essentially as an advertising tool for DraftKings. Yeah. But but no one's asking for this. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, in 2014, 2015, I think people were looking. You know, people were looking for a reason to get into DFS. I don't think people are right now. I think the DFS market is largely plateaued. Um, so it's frustrating. Anyways, let's break down these games. Uh, first game, the Saturday afternoon game, and usually you know we go left to right in the Daily Road Optimizer, but it's very simple on these on these uh, four game slates. Uh, we just go by time and one game at right. a time, I think is one of the best ways. One of the things I love about uh, playoff DFS one, we're, we're going to have four different showdown games, Davis, which is just great. I mean, at daily, you, showdown, do, you do, you do love to love see to it. See it. Um, and then the other thing I love about this is if you are diligent about swapping, you can create really good edges on these slates that are one game at a time. Cause you know, very clearly, very quickly, which lineups are way behind and which lineups are way ahead based on how the first game went. And you might not have every lineup have a clear delineation, but when you play like 10 or 20 or 150 or whatever, you will have some that will have those delineations and you should be able to take advantage of that. Um, So let's start though with the very first game. Buffalo travels to Houston. Buffalo, uh, two and a half point underdogs here in Houston, total in the low 40s. In terms of injury situations for this game, I guess the big one for, you know, both of these teams largely rested players last week. Um, But I think the big one will be Will Fuller, where we're projecting him in on the initial run of projections. They were planning on him to be available and return here. I think, I think one of the things that, you know, we have learned over the last few years is really the value of field stretchers in terms of overall offensive efficiency. And this is mm-hmm. something that I, I've talked a lot about with Deshaun Jackson. And one of the reasons I was kind of bullish on the Eagles offense coming into the season, it didn't work because Deshaun didn't play very much. But I think when these guys are healthy, it is a big difference. And we've seen that with Deshaun Watson splits with him without Will Fuller. Uh, tough matchup because Bill's defense has you know, played very well throughout the course of the season. From a DFS perspective, this game has the lowest total on the board and I imagine will be the least owned game. Uh, from this game, Davis, who has your attention as plays? Well, I mean, I think I think the uh, the obvious plays are obvious, which is that Hopkins is going to get a lot of um, like secondary love. Obviously, in non Michael Thomas lineups, Hopkins is going to have like a very high 
ownership rate. Uh, I actually think the strongest play from this game is John Brown, though, because Houston's secondary is pretty bad, and I am anticipating uh, a Houston Texans win here. I, I don't think that a road playoff win from Josh Allen, who has like a negative EPA on the year, uh, I, I don't think that they're going to come into Houston and just and just stifle them. I actually think that uh, this game's kind of getting a bad rap. Like everyone, when the schedule, like obviously when the schedule is announced, you know, everyone, the Houston Texans, they just play that awful early Saturday <laughs> afternoon game every single year. But uh, but these two teams, like at least you know that we have running quarterbacks, we have quarterbacks who will take chances. Like this is not like the year when when it was T.J. Yates versus Connor Cook. Like this is this is a little bit better oh than God, that. I, so, I, I think I blacked that game out of my mind. I was thinking about the Andy Dalton right um, the memorial Andy Dalton yeah. game. I mean, this is the the Texans have replaced uh, the the Andy Dalton first round pl- playoff loss early Saturday afternoon teams. But for me, I think I think John Brown is just straight up the best play in this entire game because I'm not expecting him to be chalk at all with the way that wide receiver is laid out. Like so, we have Michael Thomas, DeAndre Hopkins. The public loves AJ Brown. The public likes Tyler Lockett. Edelman, of course, is. Well, I don't know. I don't. I don't know if the public loves Tyler Lockett. I know. I don't know about that. But I. I also think one other situation that you uh, neglected to mention there is if people are going to play a lot of Saints, uh, people are going to bring it back with Minnesota wide receivers. So Thielen or Diggs, I think, are going to have some ownership as well. Um, So yeah, I think John Brown could go a little bit under the radar here, at least relative to where our projections think he should be. Um, he's got obviously the, the nice thing about John Brown is he can make it all in one play too. Like these guys who are really big play threats, you have just monstrous ceilings with them. Like we saw with that Will Fuller game early in, earlier in the season, we saw it with like Christian Kirk, we seen it with a couple of John Brown games where it's not like a guy like Edelman who you feel pretty good about Edelman getting his five to six catches, but it's going to be a grind. It's going to be a real grind and, and you're never going to have the type of ceiling. And those guys are priced somewhat similarly. I think John Brown is obviously the better tournament play. Um, I think I'm, I'm interested in this game because I think there's some game stack potential here that will come with pretty low ownership. It, it and, will be the lowest owned game stack of the four games. And I actually, I actually like Buffalo's side um, because I, I think Josh Allen has the type of, you know, the type of volatility to him. And I think he, you know, and obviously the way he's used around the goal line in terms of the rushing opportunity, I think, you know, Josh Allen single stacks with a bring back from the Texans receiving core is very viable. I think our optimizer might like some Watson, Hopkins, uh, Duke Johnson type builds as well. I think those can be kind of interesting. But actually, I, I kind of like Buffalo in the spot, which is weird to say because on one of these flagship pods a few years ago, I said just when you think Buffalo – uh, has made Mike feel warm and fuzzy. They usually let him down in the most disastrous way possible, which would be this weekend if that's going to be the case. Um, but I kind of like Buffalo in the spot. I kind of don't mind their offense. I do think this game will come with the lowest ownership of all four on the slate. So I, I think I'll have some in GPPs. What are you going to do with Will Fuller? Because I'm like I'm I'm stuck on Will Fuller these days, where it feels like it feels like he just has a very hard time getting through games. And as a result, I just kind of lean on where ownership is going to be. I don't think ownership is going to be there this week, though, which is one of the reasons that I probably will play some. Imagine not jamming Will Fuller in this game. Are you going to go on like the the uh, the Tre'Davious White corner, wide receiver cornerback matchup stuff, and like Will Fuller is going to get peppered because they're going to put White on Hopkins? Is that is that where you're going to go? You're going to go full. Imagine full thinking that I'm going to come on this. Imagine thinking that I'm going to come on a podcast and tout wide receiver cornerback matchups. <laughs> do you know me at all, Drew? It's like I it's do. like I, we. I wanted to see. Like, I want to see if you're going to like t- like relapse and have like a little bit of taste of these. No, it's not. It's not. Matchups. It's not 2016 anymore. I'm not going on Pro Football Focus and like looking who has like the biggest like speed advantage between cornerbacks. I, I just think this is clearly a fuller spot where people are going to be a little bit scared off because of the injury stuff that you just mentioned. We have not seen a Will Fuller boom. I mean, we've seen one all year and it was, I, I believe it was in week five when it happened. Um, but yeah, I mean, Will Fuller is of all, of all these plays, you know, guys, Greg Ford, Kenny Stills, Sean Jackson and Keel Harry, like, of the guys priced below $5,000 running back wide receiver tight end, 
there's probably not one player who has more ability to break the slate than Will Fuller. In fact, I would say he is the number one slate-breaking player beneath 5,000. So one of the bits of uh, advice that I gave out on our uh, Christmas Day NBA podcast for premium subscribers was that I think these slates where you play one game at a time, I think one of the things that can be a big advantage if you're playing a lot of lineups is to think through the use of late swap and how you'll be able to use it to your advantage. And one of the, one of the strategies I preached in that was, Hey, even if the first game looks, you know, unappealing, you should have a little bit of anyone in that game that you think can break the slate. Yeah. We talked about this on the Thanksgiving day podcast and yep. uh, it ended up, it ended up like people who played Kenny Galladay, Kenny Galladay. He, was a re- he was a required part of yep. the winning lineup. So very good. So, yeah. So, so that's where I think Will Fuller comes into play. I think you need to have some Will Fuller and GPPs this week. I think you need to be prepared that if he's the one that breaks the slate, now you're playing from a huge, uh, you're playing you know, behind the button. You're playing from a huge positional advantage on all your opponents. Um, obviously, if he does, you know, it's a GPP lineup. You were unlikely to cash it anyway. And it's just kind of the way that things go. So I will be playing Fuller and GPPs. Um, as long as he's, as long as he's cleared to go, it, even if it's like kind of shaky and he's questionable and he plays, I'll still have some there. Um, what, what's your thoughts on Duke Johnson in this one? Cause the bills, you know, while they've been a pretty good defense on the season. Oh, I, I did have one more Will Fuller thing I want to say before I get into Duke Johnson. Sorry. One thing that I was thinking through is I actually kind of don't see too many paths to Deshaun Watson hitting his upside, his maximum upside without Will Fuller having a good game. What do you think about that? Like usually, like like last week I had every Aaron Rodgers lineup I had had exactly one of Devontae Adams, and then I allowed it to have other Packers if it wanted. But I didn't see a path for Aaron Rodgers to have a big game without Devontae Adams having a big game. And usually you do that with the number one wide receiver, not the number two wide receiver. But for whatever reason with Houston, it feels like Deshaun Watson, when Nuke has like his big games, they're good, but not slate breaking games for Deshaun Watson. But when Fuller has the big games, it's a it's it's nuts for for Deshaun because it's opening up everything else. Well, it is it. I mean, it should be kind of obvious why that is, which is that. Um, DeAndre Hopkins is not getting like 40 yard targets and creating it all on his own. He's getting it like 13 yards at a time and those require a ton of plays and it's, and they're less explosive. And so it's less likely to lead to just like these crazy blow up games. Will Fuller can have 30 DraftKings points on six targets. And that, that, that be, that begets like more drives that begets more points that begets more pass attempts from the other team. So like just his style of play begets more fantasy points overall. And uh, will you be playing some Kenny Stills with the idea that whenever Will Fuller plays, it seems like Kenny Stills does everything. And whenever Will Fuller sits and we play Kenny Stills, he does nothing. Uh, I mean, at this point, I think that if Kenny Stills had a good game and I had no exposure to him on a four-game slate, I might actually be forced to retire. It was like when Draft <laughs> Cheat almost won a million dollars. We're like, if Draft Cheat would have won, I actually would have just had to quit DFS. It would be very similar if Kenny Stills had a smash and I had none of him. All right, so Duke Johnson. Um, what's your take on Duke Johnson and Carlos Hyde? I know from a real football perspective, you're obviously a much bigger Duke Johnson fan than Carlos Hyde. But for this matchup and this, this game in particular, if you think Houston's going to play from ahead, that would seem to be a better environment for Carlos Hyde. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, 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 the, the Texans don't like Duke Johnson. Like, they traded for him, and they, they don't like him. Like, he, he was getting carries in the second quarter last week when A.J. McCarron was the quarterback. That, that tells you everything that you need to know about what the team thinks of him. Carlos Hyde is their primary running back, going to be the primary goal line back. If Duke Johnson has a big game, it's going to come on, like, a couple big plays. You know, he might, he'll get, like, seven targets or something. And I would assume that something wonky in-game probably would have to happen. Or they, it would be a hyper-specific game plan that we would not – have like knowledge of right now basically so my concern for this game from the texans perspective and one of the reasons i like the bills in this game is i think they're going to approach this game and view the bills defense as one that they can run on and i think they're going to try to establish it and i think they're going to slow the pace of the game down a little bit and i think the team that has the better chance of capitalizing on the big plays or playing a, a little bit more aggressively is more likely to win this game and i think I actually think that's going to be Buffalo. I think they're going to be a team that's going to be more likely to play aggressively. And I'm a little bit concerned as a result. Uh, Carlos Hyde's very expensive on DraftKings at 5,100. So I probably won't be playing much Carlos Hyde, but that's one of my concerns for the Texans offense as a whole. 
Um, and so I want, if I'm going to take players from the Texans and use them in GPP lineups, I want it from a situation where I think the game gets sped up for them. And I think that's through Will Fuller and I think that's through John Brown. Um, on Buffalo's side, are you going to play anyone outside of John Brown? I mean, I think because this game is the first game of the slate, I'll have some Cole Beasley. I'll have some Devin Singletary just not to, you know, get knocked out of the, the slate from the start. But I don't think these guys are going to be guys that I have huge positions on. I think it'll mostly be John Brown for me. What about you? I would think that if we don't get good injury news on Boston Scott or Miles Sanders, I get like I could see Singletary getting some ownership. People like Devin Singletary. He's just one of those players that gets public ownership. You know what I'm saying? Devin Singletary gets public ownership. Uh, in this slate, he's going to like he's a guy like I maybe maybe I'm skewed from this because I get a lot of like seasonal and dynasty questions about him on Twitter. So maybe I'm wrong about this, but I feel like Singletary is a guy that people like. I don't think I've I don't think I've played him into much ownership. Now I think on like the Fanduel two game slate, he'll he'll guard sure, well, sure. ownership. Um, I think Tommy Sweeney's going to get ownership on the that Fanduel two, two game, game slate. slate. Derrick Henry, what is he going to be owned on that Fanduel two game slate? I mean. Shouldn't he just – I mean, shouldn't it every slate Derrick Henry just be owned at a 100% clip? I mean, he might He might be on that slate. He might be – I mean, I, he might I, be 75% percent Dude, I'm really not looking forward to talking about this next game. All right, well, we'll, we'll get there in a second. Um, all right, so I think – yeah, I think Singletary might – I don't think he's going to have a ton of ownership. I think the guys that are going to be owned – I mean, I, I think whoever – I think – whether it's Miles Sanders or Boston Scott, whoever the Seattle, uh, the Philadelphia running back is, is going to be owned. I think Kamara is going to be massively owned. I think uh, Cook is going to be owned, and I think Henry is going to be owned. I think the cheaper running backs aren't going to be owned as much. I think people are going to play more cheaper tight end, cheaper wide receivers. Yeah, I mean, I think that makes a decent – I mean, yeah, of course. That, make, that makes a, a good amount of sense to me. Okay, let's move over to this next game. Tennessee visits New England. Uh, this game is like hot take central to me because I think everybody, it seems like every week we're waiting to, you know, declare the end of the Patriots dynasty. I think every week people are trying to declare the end of the Titans offense. You, you are correct that this game is hot take central. And so I feel like this game, everybody's got an opinion. And it's either that Tennessee is, you know, been running stupid hot and they're not going to be able to stay that way. Or it's that New England is completely fraudulent and they're finally going to get, you know, knocked out the way that they should. And I don't know. I guess I lean on the side of that New England's fraudulent, but it feels kind of fishy. So I really, I really am nervous about this game on the whole and how to approach it from a DFS perspective. I think, you know, from an injury perspective, there's not really much that we're waiting on for this game. I think it would be nice to see Julian Edelman, uh, you know, get through a healthy week of practice, but it just doesn't seem, yeah, it but seems he, like he's, he's not, he's not healthy he's though. Just not just regard, do that. Yeah, he's just not healthy. Yeah. He's just not, he's not healthy. And, and if you watch their offense the last few weeks, what they've basically become in the red zone is we're going to run the ball or throw fades to Nikhil Harry. They have no confidence in doing anything else in the red zone. And I think some of that has to do with Edelman's health, that they're not running some of these pick plays and different things that they're kind of accustomed to running um, in that area. It just seems like they're just like, hey, our best shot is letting Nikhil Harry try to win one-on-one. And that just seems, it seems bad. Um, So, you know, from an injury perspective, I think that's the only thing to really look out for in this game. Um, I don't, I think Edelman is just kind of a really low upside option that the price tag isn't cheap enough to get super excited about. I, so I, I kind of like the idea of just not playing Edelman at all on DraftKings because knowing that he's going to be 10% too owned regardless, like relative to his projection. The challenge is, I mean, yeah, I mean, I don't mind, I don't mind it. Um, uh, I don't know. I really don't know. I really feel uncomfortable. I mean, he's like straight up not a good play. And if he gets there, it's going to be like literally like 16 he's receptions. Not a ter- he's not a terrible play. He's not, he's not, he is not a terrible. A ter- you are, you are correct that he is he's not like, a, a he, terrible play. He's like our sixth or seventh best value at wide receiver, but everybody's pretty condensed there. Um, the question is like upside, how much upside does he have? But on, if on a playoff slate, that's lower scoring, fewer games, like eight for 60. Yeah, sure. That could be in an optimal lineup could be viable even without a touchdown. Like it probably won't win the the Millie maker, but 
It probably could keep you. Imagine how tilted you'd be if you got like seventh in the Millie Maker in this slate. You'd just be like, great, so I didn't bad. even break even on my 150. So bad. Just so bad. Um, all right. So, Davis, so I mean, it, the hot take game deserves the hot take from Davis Maddox. So, what's what, how are people to play this game? What's going to happen? Which Who's is, which is funny because I am definitely a, the, um, like I am the the locus of like I do think the Patriots are dust, and I also do think that the Titans are probably the most massively overperforming team that the NFL has ever seen. So when when this opened, I was prepared to just jam it right, just get it all in on Tennessee, which side on, on Tennessee, on Tennessee, okay. on Tennessee. And then I I literally I just thought about it for like thirteen seconds, and I and I was just like, you know what? Is Ryan Tannehill going to be the one that does it? That that just that, that sends Brady out? And and the answer is no. It's not. It's not going to be Tannehill. The Patriots are going to win this game. Uh, they're they're probably going to cover in this game. And um, yeah, let's just. I and it's going to be a bad game. I actually think that this is going to be like a pretty bad game because both of these like the Patriots offense is just bad in general. The Titans offense has been fantastic because they have good players. But uh, if there is a defensive coordinator that I trust to figure out how to take advantage of Tannehill's biggest weakness, which is that he can't throw the ball deep and that he is just miserable at taking sacks. uh, I think it's going to be Bill Belichick, especially against literally a player he used to coach. I actually um, I disagree with your take that Tannehill can't throw the ball deep. He was pretty effective at that in Miami, and him and A.J. Brown have been really good at that. Uh, what I did want to ask you about, though, is this, you know, last week for the first time, I guess I guess on, um, yeah, for, for one of the first times all season, we saw, I guess the week before, you saw John Brown kind of get Stephon Gilmore. But Devontae Parker was just a man amongst boys last week for the Dolphins against this yep. New England secondary. And the guy who has been a man amongst boys all season long has been A.J. Brown. I mean, just insane levels of efficiency. Tyreek Hill-esque in terms of how he's elevated this offense. And do you? I, I think the effectiveness of Tennessee's offense largely rides on can A.J. Brown beat Stephon Gilmore? Um, and and not, not beat him once. Like, he's going to have yeah, to beat yeah. him, like, 15 times. Yeah. And do you think he can consistently win that matchup? And I – I lean no, but I'm not entirely sure. Like, A.J. Brown's beaten every expectation that you could put on a man. But if you ask me, is Tennessee going to beat New England when New England is probably going to blitz heavily, load up the line of scrimmage, lock Gilmore on A.J. Brown, and basically say, hey, Tannehill, beat us with quick hitters to Corey Davis. If they are able to force Tennessee to try to win that way, I feel very good about New England's defense putting up a very good game. If Tennessee can suppress that pass rush by keeping them off balance with like their screen game or AJ Brown can handle Gilmore one-on-one and it just slows New England's defense down, then I think Tennessee could roll. Like I think Tennessee matches up really well defensively with New England. I mean, what so, if what if Derek what if Derek Henry just has like 312 rushing yards? I mean, are, we that's account- the thing. are we are we accounting that's- for that? That's the thing that, that, that we know, we know models, uh, you know, models are going to have a hard time <laughs> figuring out, but we know that Derrick Henry can be a slate breaker at any given time. Um, so my instincts coming into this game was that I was going to be, I was like, you know, I was, I was really interested in betting Tennessee and being on, on Tennessee's side. But the more I thought through this game, the more, you know, I was concerned that Tennessee's offense could just get really, really, really slowed down. Uh, I do think their defense matches up well enough with New England that I still, if I was forced to bet this game, I'd take the points with Tennessee. Um, but from that is DFS, the that is the pick that is the pick that I am making in my like in my pools and stuff. But from a DFS perspective, I'm really not into this game. No, me either. Which is um, which is gonna be, it's gonna be so painful because Brown and Edelman and Henry are all gonna be popular. Um, so who, so who do you, if you were to, if you were to say, okay, I'm going to play one guy from Tennessee and one guy from new England, and I have to make a lineup that includes one from each, who's the guy that you play in Tennessee and who's the guy that you play in New England? AJ Brown and James White. Easy. So James, easy, White, easy. James, James White playoff narratives. Our, our stuff is very likely. I, I, so 
right now it's Wednesday, right? So the projections yeah. there, they have a lot left to be done to them, yeah. but I would, I went in and um, just played with them a, a very small amount, just kind of set them to the season long averages. But one of the, one of the um, narrative oversights that I took was I, I did bump up James White from his season long baselines to uh, about 10% higher, just took some away from Sony, took some away from Rex and bumped it to James White. It looks like he did on the rushing side, but not on the receiving side, which is really where it's going to make I, most of the volume difference for him. And he like, and it's been weird because as we've seen more Rex Burkhead down the stretch, we've seen a little bit less James White. And that's kind of been the one thing that's been holding me back because I do think, you know, when push comes to shove in the playoffs, I think they're going to use their running backs in the passing game a lot more frequently than we saw towards the end of the season. Yeah, I mean, I think the only way, like, and my, by my estimation, it seems like kind of the only way that the Patriots would be able to compete in this game is if the short passing game is just nails, right? Like if they're just able to get eight yards a pop on these short passes, I, I don't really see another obvious way for them to be successful. Yeah. So I'll go with, um, I'll go with my Tennessee guy. I, God, at this point, I just, it would be Derrick Henry. It just would. Just because, just because of the pain? Just the, just, the pain I mean, just at, this, just at this point, like, I feel like, you know what, the whole game I'll still be waiting there thinking, you know, I'm going to get a 60-yard run at some point. Like, it's just going to happen. Then we're going to hit the bonus. We're going to get that second touchdown. We're going to go 102 like we do every single week. Um, I think it would be Derrick Henry if I had to play one guy. Um, after him, it might be Jonu. Uh, Jonu? That's the right way, right? I said, I said it wrong last week, and now I'm into my head. Yeah, it's John just John. It literally um, is just John with a U at the end of it. Okay. John New Smith would be the other guy that I would be interested in. Uh, on New England side, I think Oh, I think it would be Edelman. Imagine not imagine not going with the narrative, dude. I think it would be Edelman. I feel so gross. This is um, this is definitely something I learned from from TJ, which is just that when it's when it's Patriots playoffs, you, you jam James White. Mm-hmm. I do think on um, on Fanduel, just because of the way that he has been used lately, Nikhil Harry is interesting. They're li- they're getting him ends up. I I, I actually I actually hundred percent agree with you. I think I think Nikhil Harry is a sneaky good play. Like they like I don't think he's going to catch like six balls, but I could see him scoring twice. Um, and then I also wanted to revisit one last one last player from this game that I wanted to revisit Davis because do you remember? Do you remember the last time Tennessee played New England in the playoffs? Oh, it's got to like I must have been like six, right? I, I don't. No, I literally this was, don't. This was this was a few years ago. Oh, was it a Mariota game? It was the remember when Mariota threw a touchdown pass to himself? To himself? Okay, I do remember that. Do you remember Marcus Mariota? I'm going to go to Marcus Mariota's Pro Football Reference and see if I and look at his playoff game logs and see if I can remember. Oh, so it wasn't it wasn't the game he threw it to himself. Sorry, it was. So I do I did remember this first part right though. Oh, they got blown Corey out. Da- Corey Davis two touchdowns though. Corey Davis won five sixty three and two made us a ton of money. Oh my god, this was price. the this was a this was a uh, I do remember this because it was a Totos Cone Dion game. Nine receptions, yep. seventy nine <laughs> yards. Yep. Love this game, that. This game, like what ended up being a great DFS game for how we were prepared to play it, because like Decker was good, Corey Davis was great, Deion Lewis was great, Gronk was fine. Like it was a thirty-five to fourteen game that wasn't that entertaining, but it was great from a DFS perspective. So Corey Davis and I if, definitely would not have played Derrick Henry in that game, and he was horrible. Exactly, and, and Corey Davis. So Corey Davis comes in this game. Nobody's going to play him. He's going to be super cheap. You're going to have Gilmore on AJ Brown most likely. Are you in on Corey Davis at all? Uh, I mean, I I will probably like. He's not a guy I'm going to go into the opto and nuke out. But I just imagine myself like doing my 150. I can't really imagine I'm going to even have that many players from this game overall. Like I I think I'm going to be so heavy on. Uh, Seattle, Philadelphia, Minnesota, so, New Orleans. So here's the thing: Corey Davis is 3,800. If people yeah, he'll be in the play, he'll be in the mix. If people are going to play Drew Brees, Michael Thomas, Alvin Kamara, and then let's say one of Cook or Henry, you're going to need you're going to need a cheap guy somewhere. Who's that cheap guy going to be? Is it going to be you know what? Isaiah would you McKenzie? be Would you be is surprised? Be like if, Muhammad Sanu? Is it going to be Corey Davis? Is it going to be not going to be Muhammad Sanu? Is it going to be David Moore? 
Moore is a guy. Moore is definitely a guy that I really like. Um, and Keel, I mean, I do like in Keel Harry. I, I, I probably like in Keel Harry more than I like Corey Davis. Okay. Okay. Like just from this game. Good to know. All right, let's move it over to the game that I think will have the most. Drew, I think your mic is dying right now. All right, let's move on to that Minnesota-New Orleans game, the revenge from the walk-off. Uh, New Orleans will get their opportunity. The game that I think will have the most DFS ownership on the slate, Davis, it sounds like you do as well. In terms of uh, you know injury news and notes, there shouldn't be much here. Dalvin Cook should be expected back. We'd expect him to come back to his full workload. I'd expect Alexander Madison probably to be back as well as his primary backup. Minnesota rusted most of their guys last week. New Orleans. Played most of their guys, came out of the game largely unscathed, so I don't see any injury information to really focus in on there. Um, game has the highest total on the board, 49.5. It's a few points higher than everybody else. Davis, you talked earlier about how Michael Thomas, Drew Brees, Alvin Kamara stacks are going to be exceptionally popular. Uh, from this game, what do, you, what, do you, what do you like that's different, I guess, from this game than the most, and how do you think – they, we've outlined how you think the game is going to be played chalky from a New Orleans side. Who do you think is going to be the primary player that people look to bring back on those New Orleans stacks from Minnesota? It's going to be – I would I would say Diggs and Cook. I mean, just because Diggs is cheaper than Cook, so cheaper guys are more likely to be more owned. That's just kind of the way – it's kind of the way that things go. I think if you were looking to – get weird with these game stacks. Uh, I, I do think that Diggs will be significantly more popular than Thielen. And I think that um, especially like, and, and I think that Kyle Rudolph and Irv Smith Jr. are viable in slates like this. I just, I think the question that you have to ask yourself every time we are faced with situations like this is in a, in a short slate, how valuable is it to even have like the really chalky pieces or, or would you just be better off trying to find other ways to win? And it's something that I ask myself every single short slate like this that I play. And, you know, I just, I'm never able to convince myself to actually straight up fade the chalk. So we get asked questions like this all the time and subscriber slacks and different, and, and they're very difficult questions to ask because I feel like they, they have a number of things that you have to take into consideration when the question is asked. So the very first thing that I'd ask is, you know, what are your goals when you're playing the contest that you're playing? Are you basically comfortable losing an overwhelming majority of your, your money? And based on the way that most people handle themselves and subscriber slack and whatnot, and just tilting no, the, the answer is all no. the time, the answer is no. So the answer is if you're not comfortable just being like dead, completely dead, you probably shouldn't take super aggressive stances one way or the other um, in terms of like all in on a guy or, you know, completely fading guy. You should have relatively um, smaller position sizes against the, the field. If you are comfortable playing really contrarian and being, um, you know, really wildly against the field, which you should be in some of these really, like if you're playing that Millie Maker, you should be pretty comfortable going, you know, pretty hefty fades on some of these chalky guys. Now, it's hard on this slate because Kamara and Thomas, especially in DraftKings, they come with such reception value to them. Right. That it's going to be hard for them to completely fail. They can have not ceiling games, but because the size of the slate, a not ceiling game can still be okay. And one of them is likely to do okay. I think the better way to play this, if you're going to try to play contrarian and still want to have some shot, is you should not have Breeze, Kamara, Thomas, stacks as a group. If you want to be contrarian on the whole, you shouldn't so have you those would, you three would, as a You group. would just do – you would do max, max one. Max one of Kamara, Thomas. That's pretty interesting. I think that I, um, I think that is certainly a, a, a way to find unique – I think that's a way to find pretty unique lineups. And I think that's like a, a thing that – I mean, the thing is, is Kamara is so freaking cheap, dude. Yep. Kamara is the best play. He's the he's the best play of the slate, but he's seventy four hundred. It's so I absurd. I know. And here's the thing: that's a way to middle it, where you'll still have some exposure to these guys, and so you know you're you're not fading the chalk entirely. So if you can't handle the full volatility, you can kind of go that route. But some of the best GP players in the world, um, like I know uh, coolers in our in our Slack chat. Um, no, Coolers, you're not one of the best GPB players in the world. No offense. But you were posting some interesting data last week about how 
Um, some of the high stakes guys faded entirely Christian McCaffrey or faded entirely Julio Jones um, in the Millie Makers and whatnot. And so I think, you know, some of those guys might go forward with fading entirely a Michael Thomas or an Alvin Kamara. I don't think they will because of the size of the slate. Like those, those full fades are easier to pull off on full slates than they are on really small slates. So I think ways to do it is to just increase your exposure to guys like Jared Cook, guys like Ted Ginn, um, Saints defense, ways that Kamara or Thomas will get neutered. Their production gets neutered if any one of those guys goes off. And their projection, their predict, production together is unlikely to be uh, good enough to win a GPP if one of those other three combinations goes off. A trick on Smith you could include in there as well. So I think that's the way to kind of play this game where you still have your New Orleans exposure. You can still have Breeze Stacks. You can still have one of Kamara or Thomas, but then have the other piece of it be Ted Ginn, Jared Cook. If you're not using Breeze, consider using the Saints defense in some lineups. And those are ways to kind of naturally – naturally get yourself some leverage without having to full fade uh, the really, really chalky plays. Yeah, I, so, I, so this is why I think that rule is not something that I will implement, despite all of the thought you just intuited there with the max one Kamara Thomas rule, which is that in the event of this game stack actually being the nuts, which is like we get, we get a, a 42 to 35 mm-hmm. Minnesota New Orleans game or we get an overtime possession, your, your player pool overall probably looks good, but you have no individual lineups that are live. Oh, so yeah. I actually would prefer to go the other well, way. You won't, Which would but be, you also will. You also will be. You also will be competing with a ton of people. So, how common on these? Because we know that people do not uh, bring back or double bring back near enough on main slates on on you know twelve game or more slates. What 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 is your intuition on these four gamers? Do you think people are still aggressively bringing back or double bringing back? I think they'll do it more frequently. I think. You will find so reminder. I'm also saying that if you're if you're the max one of Kamara Thomas, if you're using Breeze, it's still with two pass catchers. So you're still using someone else. I think there will be plenty of like Breeze plus Thomas lineups with no Kamara, no Cook, no Gin. I think there'll be plenty of those. You want to kind of get away from those. I think there will be plenty of Breeze Kamara Thomas lineups. You kind of want to get away from those a little a little bit or manage your exposure. Um, and then I do think a good bit of those lineups will have somebody from Minnesota coming back. Um, maybe not all of them, but there's just so few games to choose from. And the first two games on Saturday are games that people are going to view as unappealing games to play. So I think you're going to get, you're going to get a lot of natural game stacks on this game. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think I, so that's actually, you do make a good point, which is just that because these two guys are going to be so popular and the, the, the Minnesota guys are going to be popular that even people who are running optimizers, like without those specific without rules, rules are going to yeah. be, are going to be getting them anyways. Yeah, okay. you're gonna, I mean, you're going to get a decent bit. So this is, as I, as we're talking about this and as I'm thinking about it right now, where, where I am kind of at with it is that, I might just put artificial ownership caps on those guys. Like that that's kind yeah, of what I'm thinking right too. now. You can it's do just that doing too, like sure. the max is, 33% of the, Breeze and Thomas. The challenge is you might want to do that with like a key boost that's a negative key boost so it spreads them out a little bit in their lineups. Cuz or sh- or at, or shuffle up hard cuz like I think the challenge with exposure caps is in your first like let's say you run 100 lineups and you cap these guys each at 40% or 30% or whatever, in your first 30 to 40 lineups, these two guys are going to be together a ton. Yeah, so then I, you're I, end, yeah you, that's then true. You're going to end up with a bunch of lineups where you have neither. And those lineups will be contrarian, and maybe that's what you want. Maybe you want a subset of lineups that are super chalky and a subset of lineups that are super contrarian. Um, but I think that's not the way people are intuitively thinking through that. So I think you just really – there's a lot of ways to build lineups, and there's a lot of ways to – kind of make optimizers dance the way that you want them to. I think the the thing that you can do is you can also run like a subset of lineups. Like on our optimizer, you can choose the add more feature. So let's say you could run 50 lineups like normal and then another 100 lineups where you're max one of Thomas Kamara. Yeah, I, I like I like those ideas. Um, so do you, I, I think you and I both are of the same thinking, which is that uh, – the market actually might be a little bit low on Dalvin Cook, and and we could realistically be in a scenario here where 
Uh, he gets all of the running back touches, um, mm-hmm. like like all of the running back touches for Minnesota. You know, no Mike Boone, no Alex Madison. Yeah, I think that certainly could happen. And I think because he's coming off an injury, and I think because we have two clear running backs at least that people will play above him, uh, I think we both agree that Derrick Henry will be played above him, right? Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess, yeah. I mean, people love Derrick Henry. They people love People love Derrick Henry. People love Derrick Henry. And uh, we think Kamara. Now that Kamara scored four touchdowns in the last two games, people don't hate Kamara anymore, right? Now he's okay. Like, yeah, it's, it's, it sucks that he couldn't have sandwiched those touchdowns before the playoffs started. Yeah, two game two games ago though, he was dust and he couldn't win GPPs and all that stuff. And now, and he, and, he, and his ankle and his ankle back. was hurt, and yeah. he he wasn't as a, yeah. It just you do yeah. things you love to see, Drew. Yeah. Not that not that so, we're talking about anyone in sub slack. <laughs> so so that's so that's where we're at now. He will be the highest owned running back on slate in terms of Thomas and Kamara. What do you think their ownership is going to come in at on the slate? I, I mean, I think I think that Thomas will be over 50% and Kamara yeah. will be close. I think something that could alter the ownership for Kamara pretty significantly would be Miles Sanders being ruled out on Saturday. I don't know how much that'll move things because I think if you look at it uh, with the Philadelphia situation, you know, Miles Sanders is 6,200 on DraftKings and Boston Scott is 5,800. So I kind of think whatever happens with Miles Sanders, the ownership will kind of – it'll either be on Miles Sanders or it'll be on Boston Scott. Unless people really can talk them into Jordan Howard, like taking up a big role in his second week back, which, you know, maybe if they game plan for it, maybe there's a chance there, but I don't really see that being the case. Um, and then obviously it's harder to talk about these things in the context of FanDuel because it's two separate two-game slates. Um, but on the, you know, on the Sunday uh, slate with, with FanDuel – um, Kamara and Thomas are just going to be mon- monstrously owned. I mean, just monstrously owned, like seventy-five percent or greater. Like it might be ridiculous. Um, yeah, I think I think almost everybody on that Fanduel slate will be playing Kamara, uh, Cook, and Thomas. I think. Yeah, I mean that's definitely true. So, so yeah. So I think you're going to see monstrous ownership on these guys. As I said, the ways I think to get contrarian, uh, Ted Ginn, really cheap, can hit it on one play. Uh, Jared Cook, the guy who has been hitting it of late in terms of generating big plays in the passing game. I like Cook more than Ginn because tight end is also a very difficult position that could be exceptionally chalky as well, depending on the health of, of Zach Ertz. Um, so those are the guys that I lean towards as the pivots to get to get more differentiation uh, from New Orleans and specifically Cook. Cook is the guy that I probably like the most. He'll be more owned than Ginn for sure, but I think those guys are interesting. And then on the Minnesota side, um, I really think it's an interesting week for Adam Thielen. Well, it's just like he really has not been used in like, you know, like a full role since he returned from injury. And you could certainly see that coming in this game. Yeah. I mean, they've, they've, they've managed his, his recovery time, you know, pretty conservatively throughout the course of the year. We, we thought he was going to come back maybe before his bye, then it, was, then it was supposed to be after the bye, and then it was like weeks after the bye that he ended up kind of coming back. The snap shares have been uh, generally a little bit managed. Obviously, he had week 17 to heal up as well. So, I, I mean, it's one of these situations where maybe he can just never get healthy again this season. But I think like the week 16, 93% of snaps, I think that's the leading indicator here. And so I think you're going to get the lowest ownership that you've ever gotten on Adam Thielen at this price tag um, in the best game environment on the slate. Uh, yeah, I think that I think that is very true. And like even even knowing those things, like the lizard brain, it just it's hard to it's hard to like play more of him than Diggs because his results have not been as good. Yeah, I mean, and both of those guys have not had the market shares we've been accustomed to. I think our market share baselines on those guys started the season in the high twenties and have moved down to the low 20s, mid-20s. So what if, what if what we thought was going to happen when they came into the season happens in this playoff game, which is that they're a super condensed offense and all the touches are run through Thielen Diggs Cook? Yeah, I think that's interesting. So yeah. I, I think, I think um, another way you can play that game contrarian is obviously you know, play the Cousins side with the Cousins double stacks and one bring back from New Orleans or two bring backs from New Orleans or things like that. But I think Breeze is also going to be the highest known quarterback on the slate. I think if you're playing cash games, you would start with Breeze. Uh, cash game builds, you would start with Breeze, Kamar Thomas. Oh, for sure. Yeah. yeah. No, no doubt yeah. about that. 
All right, let's talk about this final game on the slate. Seattle goes into Philadelphia, and they're actually two-point favorites here. I noted to you, Davis, that I was really surprised when I saw that line. Just You don't see a lot of uh, road playoff favorites in the NFL historically, and usually when you do, there are teams that are a little bit more dominant than Seattle. I mean, Seattle's had a very good record this year, and obviously they were one play and one inch away from uh, from a first-round bye and home field advantage in the playoffs. But everything about them from – you know, a point differential record, uh, situation, EPA, all the different advanced metrics suggest they're a you know, very average team. And probably the, they, they, Philadelphia and Green Bay, are probably the three biggest frauds in the, in the tournament. Uh, ha- unfortunately, two of them happen to be playing against one another. I think Philadelphia is a little bit fraudulent just because they've, they've been decimated by injuries. And this is the other thing we're going to have to watch from an injury perspective. Miles Sanders was uh, ruled as out on Wednesday's practice, but it was just a walkthrough. Not a great sign there. Zach Ertz was limited through a walkthrough on Wednesday. And I think those are the two injuries that will really shake up the slate. And obviously, it's the last game of the slate. So, there's not so a lot if, of if, we don't get good, if we don't get good reporting, it's going to be crazy. And, and I think these guys are probably going to be genuine game-time decisions. So I think it's going to be very difficult on how to deal with. I think what will happen is if Ertz looks questionable at all, you're just going to see this monstrous ownership on Dallas Goddard. Just monstrous. And as we saw last week, Dallas Goddard had a fine game last week, but he wasn't going to win you the big tournaments at that level of ownership when any other tight end does anything. Correct. And uh, the the thing that is going to push so many people into building their lineup around that, uh, you know, Ertz and or Goddard is this is uh, this is just such a bad tight end slate. Like we, we've yep. gotten through all these games and I think the only tight end name that either of us mentioned was Jonu Smith. Like and Cook. And Cook. Jared, Cook is not even yeah. like that. Like he's like not a super reliable fantasy asset. Of course, Jacob Hollister actually, I think is, is pretty yep. interesting. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, Goddard, if – I mean, if we find out, like, on Friday afternoon, like, Ertz is like, man, my ribs are broken. I literally can't play. Uh, it, it, it would be very hard for me to think that, uh, that Goddard is not I, – I, he would be the most owned player of the slate. So let's start with the Seattle let's, – let's focus in on Seattle because their, their situation is a little bit more static. Um, we, know, we know what they're going to have used in terms of pieces, and then we can talk through kind of the if-thens with Philadelphia – you know, Philadelphia has been a team that throughout the season uh, opposing offenses have really targeted trying to take advantage of them in the passing game. Uh, they've played through a lot of secondary injuries. Um, Jalen Mills and, and Ronald Darnby have been hurt. Their their past defense DVOA rank has ascended as the season's gone on. Part of that's because they do have a pretty good pass rush. So they're just vulnerable when you can get there. Um, Seattle's been the most inconsistent passing offense to rely on from a DFS perspective week in and week out because Tyler Lockett goes from air balls to 40 burgers. DK Metcalf does the same with like air balls to 20 burgers. Um, How are you attacking Seattle in this game? I assume this is going to be a stack situation that you're looking at because it looks to me, it looks like the place that would be the most natural pivot off of uh, New Orleans would be these Russ Wilson stacks because they're the, they're the game that I think has the most upside outside of that New Orleans-Minnesota game. So I think Russ is going to come in with you know maybe the second-highest ownership on the slate. How are you going to play the Seattle offense? Yeah, I mean, I definitely Tyler de- like Tyler Lockett, um, uh, Russell Wilson stacks. But, I mean, the, the thing that I have been – the thing that I've been doing is, uh, you know, just trying to get even on on DK Metcalf because I didn't have him in cash that week that he got thirty five. <laughs> so I, I've just been I've just been stuck trying to get even on Metcalf, and I actually think Metcalf has, you know, he has that kind of that similar what we talked about with Will Fuller. I actually think Metcalf is like that guy for Seattle, where because his TD equity is so high. Uh, especially with them running less, uh, I, I think that I think that Metcalf has the ability to really be a slate breaker. I mentioned that I like Jacob Hollister, and I, a guy that I seem to be way higher on the market on. We talked about this at the beginning of the show is Travis Homer. I mean, I think Travis Homer is yeah. a phenomenal play in this slate. So honestly, Davis, it sounds like you know if you're not going to play the chalk Drew Brees stacks, it sounds like this is where you're going. You're going with Russ double stacks with. Homer, Lockett, Metcalf, Hollister, two of those guys, bringing it back with an Eagles player. Seems like this is your spot. 
Yeah, this is this is I like so like in single entry three max stuff, I would be I would be making these teams almost for certain. Uh in, in MME, this will probably I would like for this to be my biggest spot, but I mean, you know, it's gonna be hard for me to fight the projections that hard on the Saints stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I so the thing that I like about this is if Seattle's sharp enough to understand that, you know, they basically lost that game last week because of how much they use Marshawn Lynch compared to how much they use Travis Homer. Um, the best ways to use Travis Homer are getting him out in space in the passing game. And the best way for Seattle's offense to click on the hole is just more passing. Like Russ is unbelievable. So I would like, I think Seattle might've kind of, you know, lost the, the battle, but maybe won the war last week if they were smart enough to realize like the, the way they have to play to advance in these playoffs is getting the ball in Russ's hands as much as possible and getting their guys that, you know, are, are kind of quicker athletic dudes out in space. Um, and the matchup against Philadelphia is the perfect matchup to do that as well. Cause Philadelphia has been a top five run defense for the last few years. They're very difficult to run on. It would seem very obvious, but again, Pete Carroll and that coaching staff have not done the obvious things for years. Yeah, I mean that is that that is the concern every time you go to play Russell Wilson, Tyler Lockett, any of these guys. You just are like, well, what are they going to do? What are are they just going to come into this game and give Marshawn Lynch not like? I, and there actually was a play that perfectly illustrated this example in their Week 17 must win game, fourth and one, and they're going they're going to go for it, and the defense is literally like the 49ers defense is literally lined up over the a gap, pointing at where the run play is going to go. And they just they ran it with Marshawn Lynch. It it it's just it defies the brain. Yeah. So that's the big concern here on the Philadelphia side. You know the injury situations. Let's start with let's say Miles Sanders doesn't play. Uh, if Miles Sanders doesn't play, how does that impact Philadelphia's offense on the whole in terms of your confidence on it? And then what? I mean, I, breakout I, is I, I might Boston just straight Scott up Turner. lock Boston Scott. I I think that I think if Miles Sanders doesn't play, I I might legitimately just lock Boston Scott. So you don't think with another week of health and whatnot, Jordan Howard gets mixed into more of a prominent role if Miles Sanders is ruled out? Oh, I totally think I totally think he would. I think you could project him for like thirty to forty percent market share of the rush attempts if Miles Sanders gets ruled out. But you're not playing Boston Scott for like three yard in between the tackles runs. You're playing him because this team has no healthy wide receivers and both Boston Scott and Miles Sanders are big parts of the passing game. So I, I think that uh, I think that definitely matters here. I mean, you know, Nelson Aguilar could randomly play in this game. I mean, you know, what like he there also, are ways. He also did not go through the walkthrough uh, today for what it's worth. There you go. So I, I think that uh, I think Boston Scott is already kind of like a pretty intriguing play, even if Miles Sanders does play. Like, you know, he's projected for double-digit PPR points. Uh, anyone who's projected for double-digit PPR points in a four-game slate is probably, uh, you know, worth being in your player pool, I would imagine. So that is, uh, that's certainly an interesting spot for me. The other thing that I think this does – and similar to the Seattle side where we talk about if they decide to limit Marshawn Lynch, it can speed up Seattle's offense. I think it could speed up Philadelphia's offense. Just a lot more pass plays in general. Um, if you were without Miles Sanders, I don't think they'd be as confident in running the football just generally. Um, and so, you know, it's, it, this game is the game that's second most compelling to Minnesota New Orleans from a pace of play, from a total perspective, in my opinion, because I see there's some pass through injuries and whatnot that could also make these teams. Yeah, for, for like 36 total rushing attempts in the whole game. Yeah. Yeah, yeah so that, I'm, I'm that's kind of that's kinda what here. is playing out. That's what's playing out in my head. It's just this being just, you know, Russ versus Wentz. And, I mean, Wentz, Wentz, like, whatever. We can say mean things about him, but he actually has played. To me, I'm like a big non-Wentz guy, but he's played so well uh, in the last two weeks that uh, he's kind of making me a believer. Yeah, he's played, he's played very well with a depleted cast of, of characters here. Um, if we are without Zach Ertz, I think Dallas Goddard is the clear cash game tight end. I think he's the clear chalk at the tight end position. And I think he would push Michael Thomas, Alvin Kamara levels of ownership um, to the point that you would probably in a tournament lineup not want to have all three of those guys in the same tournament lineup, uh, that it would be very difficult to win a tournament. Um without being perfect, without just having the perfect lineup. So let's say Earth sits and it's Goddard week again. Um, how do you play that 
in terms of how do you how do you try to be different? There's just not a lot of guys on Philadelphia's offense that you could be different on, especially if Miles Sanders was out and Ertz was out. Then you're going to have people playing Goddard and Scott at good levels. Greg Ward's still going to command some ownership because he's been owned the last few weeks. Is the pivot then Josh Perkins? Imagine touting Josh Perkins on a podcast, but this, I mean, that's where we are. I, I think there's no pivot. And I think you just, I, I, you just like, hope they, I, they just stink offensively. No, I, I, why, why do you not want to play Dallas Goddard? Like we, we just talked about how bad tight end is. Goddard mm-hmm. is coming off back to back 12 and 10 target games. I mean, why, why do we, why do we not just want to play like 75% okay. Dallas Goddard? Then walk me through this uh, this scenario. Ertz is out. Um, you're playing – who are you sitting between Thomas, Kamara, and Goddard? Because you would agree playing all three in that scenario is bad. Play, playing all three is probably pretty bad. I, I think you don't play Michael Thomas on that team. Okay. okay. Or, or actually, no, it, it's a way more complimentary thing to do. Uh, so we go, we go no Alvin Kamara and we play Boston Scott instead. Okay. So you play Scott and Goddard together. Yeah, I mean, we just talked about thinking that this game is likely yeah. going to be one of the better ones. So, yeah, and, okay. and like, yeah, I, I like that. And uh, I think w- one interesting thing, I guess, would be trying to be, you know, trying to be like Jacob Hollister is going to be in the same game environment that we're talking about. Now, he's not going to have the same target volume. But if you actually – oh, man, I'm going to get my hand in the dirt here. If you watch Dallas oh, Goddard play, he he really does not look like a very good football player. He 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 just catches it and and just he just falls down. He's like a big catch and fall down guy. He did make one great grab last week. I'm gonna go look at his yards after the catch this year. Do we think he has over 150 yards after the catch this season in total? Mm. I think that's a good line. I think he had like 600 receiving yards or something. Oh my like god. He has way more than I thought. This is cr- this can't this can't be right. <laughs> he has according to airyards.com, he has 331 yards after the catch. I mean, which the guy is, that started that site cannot be trusted though, so. I mean, and this is on this is on 87 targets. There's this I yeah. either either Dallas Goddard I'm being like very rude to him or he's way better <laughs> than I thought. You're probably being very rude to him. That's that that would make him sixth amongst all tight ends. Yeah, that's a PFR. Maybe, maybe for, man, for maybe my that's, So that's why that's why the hand in the dirt takes are always wrong. That's why you yeah. literally can never trust anyone who's like, well, when I watch him, because it's never a reflective of reality, basically. Um, I did want to leave one last note before we close up shop on this pod. Uh, maybe maybe showdown relevant here. But a uh, week seventeen, no Zach Ertz. What you know? What did we think Philadelphia was going to do from a from a roster construction standpoint in terms of who was going to be on the field? We thought it was going to be Greg Ward, Dallas Goddard, and then we thought it would be JJ Arthega Whiteside. He only played twenty three percent of the snaps. Robert Davis played seventy eight percent of the snaps. So JJ Arthega Whiteside has now been passed by. Yeah, it's Greg pretty dusty, Ward and I'd rather not talk about it. And Robert Davis, <laughs> and whoo. I mean, Deontay Burnett uh, almost topped our thing white side in snaps last week. I mean, who, um, so, who by the way, we, we don't even have added in our projections yeah, that we need so, to add him in. So not, not looking good uh, for what was one of the better wide receiver draft classes we've seen in a few years. Uh, for yeah, Philadelphia to, to a miss. great wide receiver draft class, and he's getting dunked on by Steven Sims Jr. Not good. Not good at all, man. Not good. No, um, really bad. All right, so uh, Davis, any final thoughts for the people this week? You playing all the slates, the two-game slates, the four-game slates, the showdown, you playing it all? I will not be playing the two-game slates. Um, I will, of course, be playing all of the showdown slates. You know, you there can't. You imagine imagine missing a showdown. <laughs> Just imagine, I literally I can't imagine it. So uh, we'll definitely be playing all of that. We'll be playing all those. I mean, the – I think a, a great thing to leave people with is just think about what you're trying to get from the slate because if this is a this is one of the most ideal slates of all time in terms of just fading the stone chalk offense because you're going to get amazing percentages on everyone else that you want to play. Yeah, you should get good leverage. It uh, doesn't mean it'll work out. Chalk offense doesn't mean it'll work out. There's no offense. guarantee. Yeah, but, of course. But you should probably get pretty good, uh, pretty good leverage. Um, I'll leave it with this. You know, make sure. 
Um, both sites, you know, in NFL have late swap. Make sure if you're playing these four game slates, uh, the full slates, you're taking advantage of using late swap to your benefit. And there's more ways to take advantage of late swap to your benefit than simply moving players out who are injured. There's more ways to take advantage of it, even more so than just building lineups, giving yourself the flexibility to move pieces around. You should also be thinking of in the construct of your portfolio, having some exposure to some of the players who could get you position early in the slate by playing really, really well. We talked about that on the Thanksgiving slate with guys like Kenny Galladay, Anthony Miller, Allen Robinson in that first game. The same will be the, the, this game with John Brown, Will Fuller. Some of these guys who might not capture some of the highest ownership on the slate, but if you play and you catch them in the right game, you play from ahead, uh, you can really start to build really strong tournament lineups by using late swap to your advantage. Um, Davis, what's the rest of the schedule this week for the Sports Grid Fantasy Football Podcast? What else you got going on for the people? We just have we have the uh, the big betting show, which is basically going to be this podcast, but for betting over under spreads and everything with me and Rich Rebar from SharpFootball.com. There we go. So make sure to tune in on that. Uh, make sure if you haven't already to subscribe, rate and review uh, the Sports Grid Fantasy Football Podcast so we can keep delivering actionable information for your fantasy uh, lineups and your betting uh, card each and every week. And we will be back next week to cover uh, the divisional round with myself and a mystery guest uh, for the flagship show. So best of luck, everybody, in the wild card round. Enjoy the games this weekend and have a great start to 2020. Hey everyone, it's Michelle Williams, and I love being able to share my story with you on my podcast, Checking In with Michelle Williams, where my guests and I, we get real as we share the ups and downs of our mental health journeys, and I'd love for you to join me. Hey, it's going to be your church and your turn up. So listen to Checking In with Michelle Williams every Tuesday, a part of the Black Effect on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Listening to your favorite podcast? That's smart. Earning your degree online from Southern New Hampshire University? That's really smart. With 24-7 access to coursework, no set class times, and dedicated student support, you can go to school when and where it works for you. Low online tuition means you can even do it for less. And dedicated student support means we'll be with you from day one to graduation and beyond. Join a community of learners just like you. Go to snhu.edu today to start your free application.